show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about building the healthcare of tomorrow. This season, we're attempting the deepest dive that's ever been done on the disruptive organizations that are likely to impact the experience of healthcare consumers for years to come. For more provocative thinking, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for change makers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about Stericycle's recent client symposium and its theme of the art of patient engagement. How can we improve the experience for consumers and the bottom line once and for all? I'll talk about that. Then Dr. David Hatfield, president of Village Medical, is in the house to share the importance of scale. He knows the value of scale in healthcare, having practiced primary care for 20 plus years in his own practice and now being at the helm of one of retail health's most prominent players. Dr. Hatfield shares how scale comes at the intersection of population health, value-based care, and culture. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Patient engagement needs to stay near the top of our priority list. I recently attended Stericycle's Client Symposium in San Diego, and the theme was the art of patient engagement. It was encouraging to be among so many people who are working so hard to improve the day-to-day communications between healthcare professionals and consumers. This event had such a positive vibe and a lot of hope. It resonated with my personal approach of looking for opportunities rather than letting the brokenness overwhelm or distract me. It's a challenge sometimes, admittedly, but that's my goal. With that, here are my top five takeaways from the symposium. One, times are tough. At the kickoff of the event, attendees were asked if this was one of the hardest times that healthcare has ever seen. Not surprisingly, nearly everyone's hands went up. There are a lot of challenging forces at play in healthcare today, and it helps if we lead with empathy. There are also a lot of reasons to celebrate. Two, teamwork makes the dream work. Patient engagement, despite being so vital in the process of keeping people healthy, is still owned by multiple people on different teams that haven't historically played well together. Maybe one reason is the mix of deep digital knowledge and strategic expertise that's needed in these roles. So just like with clinicians, workforce satisfaction can be a challenge here. Three, marketing isn't marketing without patient engagement. At one point, I asked everyone in the room who has a role that includes marketing to stand up. We then all sat down, and then I asked everyone with a patient engagement role to stand up. It was interesting to see that it wasn't all the same people standing up both times, and I feel like that reflects the reality that we're not quite yet where we want to be. There's a move that needs to happen towards not siloing digital and instead progressing to a state where there's enough digital proficiency with everyone on the marketing team. That helps lead us towards shared goals and a sense of joint ownership. 
Four, you can't slow down the natural wave of how the market evolves. We talked about repositioning brands for a world where consumers think, act, and buy differently and making your consumer experience a competitive advantage once and for all. Here's the thing. The bar is so low, and I understand why. The experience of healthcare wasn't designed to be simple, easy, or inexpensive. But the trouble is when we're so afraid of not seeing the big results that we end up not even taking the smallest step. This was a major theme of the event. Consumers are finding good experiences everywhere else in their lives. Carrie Lichen walked us through her experience scheduling with one medical versus trying to find a specialist at her own local provider, screenshots and all. As you might expect, the digital experience was night and day. It really does make a difference. Five, is it worth all of the effort to improve patient engagement? This was a great reality check. Adam Sherrington from Class asked a poignant question of whether all the effort with consumer transformation was worth it in the end. Can we see notable progress? After examining the differences between digital platforms that consumers want versus what providers currently offer, it was a resounding yes as long as engagement leads to activation. As long as we understand that bringing net new patients into the system helps them and helps your bottom line. So what comes next? I'll leave you with this thought. When you provide consumers a better experience, I promise you that the business side will take care of itself. Let's keep patient engagement as a top priority and watch the good that comes from it. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. The flow, the flow, the flow. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow. First, let me welcome Zane. How are you doing? Hey, Jared, I'm doing good. It's good to be back. We also have our regular contributor, James Gardner. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. I'm excited to be with you. Well, we're going to really enjoy today's conversation. Let's give it up for Dr. David Hatfield. He's the president of Village Medical. Welcome, Dr. Hatfield, to the Healthcare Wrap. Hey, thanks for having me. When you say give it up, I can't help but think, was there an, is there an applause? Or <laughs> Hey, great. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Zane. Thank you, James. Hey, great to be here with you all and uh, talking about the, some of the things we're doing at Village Medical. Thanks for having me. Dr. Hatfield, what did we miss in your bio? What else would you like our listeners to know about you and your background? I come from a, a family of primary care physicians. My father was a primary care doc. My brothers are primary care docs. Up until me being given this role of president at Village Medical, I was a primary care doc. And I think I'm going to think of myself as a primary care doc until the day I, I'm buried six feet under. All right, all right. Like, it's, just, it's, it's in my DNA. That's what I would like my bio to read. He was a primary care doc who gave his all to his community to deliver quality, compassionate care to every patient every day. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I love it. Is that correct? I mean, you practice primary care with your own practice for a couple of decades. Isn't that true? Before coming over to Village Medical? That's true. We had a uh, primary care medical group in the East Valley in Arizona. I'm born and raised in Arizona. That's where I set my roots. And then just over a year ago, our medical group was acquired by Village Medical, mainly because of a lot of the, the things that we were doing with regards to uh, population health and the outcomes that we were able to um, achieve for our patients. Outstanding. Well, I will say, uh, being one who also lives in the Valley of the Sun here, uh, I'm I'm glad to uh, be here local with you. We represent quite an array here. Uh, Zane is up in the Detroit area. Uh, James is calling in from Boston. Both uh, have Canadian roots, though. So uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're well represented. 
maybe a good place for us to dive in here and get started is a layperson's description of Village Medical. I see it everywhere. Of course, like like I said, being here in Phoenix, I see Village Medical Clinics. I see them on the sides of Walgreens and, and I see it on its own. Can you give us a layperson's understanding of Village Medical? And then what's the difference between that and Village MD? So good. So yeah, Village Medical, we're comprehensive primary care, right? So we have traditional brick and mortar offices to serve our patients, but we also have medical clinics that are strategically aligned with our Walgreens. We uh, affectionately call those VMWs, Village Medical at Walgreens. And we just believe that every patient, every person in the community, regardless of, of how they pay, regardless of their age, that they should have access, they deserve to have access to a primary care doc or APP or primary care, and we'll get into this, care team is what we're hearing a lot of nowadays, that cares about them and they have access to care and they know they can get the, go there and get care for, for them and their family. That's Village Medical is really the healthcare delivery part of Village MD. Village MD is more the the corporate banner, if you will. And a lot of the business functions live under Village MD. But uh, for me, Village Medical is where the rubber hits the road because that's where we're creating the magic with, with happy docs, happy APPs that are able to deliver outcomes for our patients that are second to none. That's amazing. Well, I want to talk about that then, where, where the magic happens. What are some ways, uh, Dr. Hatfield, that y'all are, you know, maybe call it creating a different healthcare experience than perhaps where patients would experience elsewhere. You know, obviously there's a lot of competition now in the primary care space. And so curious, what is it about you guys that's different? Or, you know, what is it about your philosophy that ultimately translates to a different experience and, and better outcomes? Yeah, great question, Zane. You know, we didn't invent value-based care or population health. That's the hill we're dying on, right? We believe in all things population health. If I had a nickel for every physician, every operation leader or executive who I have heard talk about value-based care or population health, I would be a really rich man. Executing on value-based care, it's a heavy lift. And you have to have culture that is embedded in every workflow that you do try to drive outcomes for our patients. We all know that we live in an age today where team-based care is the buzzword, right? And you really have to leverage that. At Village Medical, we leverage team-based care. We help our docs understand that for them to manage a panel of patients, they're going to probably need an APP, an advanced practice provider, to help see some of the patients when their day is running a little long and they're busy, that they need to squeeze a patient in, that an APP can help them. And in fact, we actually encourage our advanced practice providers to build a panel themselves. Primary care physicians alone are not going to solve the GDP problem of healthcare in America today. There is not enough of us. We're not training enough of us. We need APPs. So we invest heavily in our APPs and APP leadership to help us drive outcomes for our patients. So it's not just the APPs though, right? It doesn't, it doesn't end there. Our medical assistants are a critical part of what we do in team-based care. And we are all striving to create a medical assistant experience for our clinics that is second to none. They're the hottest commodity right now in healthcare. Everybody's looking for a well-trained medical assistant to help drive a physician APP experience, right? Because nothing makes a doc more miserable than if, if their medical assistant isn't adequately trained or adequately engaged or doesn't feel valued enough that the whole system breaks down. So we we put a lot of emphasis 
into helping our medical assistants feel a part of our team and feel engaged in the work. We also have uh, pharmacists and clinical pharmacists. There was a day and age in, in my practice that I didn't view the pharmacist as doing much of anything other than me sending over the script and them filling it in a, at a local pharmacy, and then we're on our way. We leverage these pharmacists to help us close gaps in care, to actually drive quality, to have conversations with our patients, to improve med reconciliation. Again, it's all about team-based care. And I could go on and on. We have care managers that help drive a different experience for some of our patients that have chronic disease conditions that need that higher touch. We like to say over at Village Medical that we're concierge level care without the fee. If we can actually drive total cost of care down, that fee takes care of itself, right? Absolutely. Love that. So what I'm hearing then based on everything you're saying is it sounds like culture is very, very important to Village Medical and making the whole operation run. I wanted to ask a little bit, Dr. Hatfield, about have you all educated and you know maybe managed tensions that come from, you know, call it physicians or team members who come from more traditional care institutions. And and I guess maybe to get get more specific, um, in a prior life, when I worked in a hospital system, we were trying to do value-based care. And we would always find that when we try to introduce team-based care, undoubtedly, you know, the group of physicians would get angry with the group of APPs who everyone was angry at nursing. And then, you know, the MAs were just left in no man's land to fend for themselves. And so how have you all created a culture where everyone gets along and recognizes the value that every team member brings to the care setting? Talk to us about that. That's a great question. It really requires clarity and alignment. And at the end of the day, we're all in this to drive a different experience for the one most important person. That's the patient. Like, right? Like we got to get the buy-in at the patient level. That that person, that individual patient that's where it matters most, right? Like what, what's the saying? If you change one patient, you might change their view of the world, right? You didn't change the world, but you changed their view. And that's how we approach it is one patient at a time. And I love what you said about culture around how you drive the success of these teams that we put together to all centered around the doc and the patient, the doc and APP patient experience, right? We create pod structure, where we actually create incentives, value-based incentives around driving outcomes for the panels of, the, of that pod, right? Like, it's not just, hey, doc, what did you do individually? That's not population health. Great, doc. If, you're, if that one individual doc is winning and driving success in his panel, but we're not doing it across the entire population, that's not a win in my book. Love that. Love that. You know, in my, my day job, Dr. Hatfield, I do technology consulting for hospitals. And a lot of the things that we tell our, our, our clients is, hey, it's not really the technology that's the issue. It's the culture. And even deeper, it's, you know, setting up the organization correctly from a rewards and incentives. And so definitely hear you on that point. You know, oftentimes we find that the way rewards and incentives are set up, it actually disincentivizes folks to work together and come together. And so really cool that y'all thought about it to that level. Can I um, take the conversation in a slightly different direction? Although this is amazing. Dr. Heffield, can you talk to us about the partnership that we've all been watching and talking about on the show? Uh, in your case with Walgreens, talk to us about what that looks like for listeners that might not be familiar with that relationship and 
more specifically, what the patient experience looks like in those non-traditional retail settings. Because I think you guys are really pioneers in bringing healthcare to a new place where perhaps we don't expect to find it. Yeah, James, for me, it's a natural fit, right? So we want to make it easy for the consumer to be able to access pharmacy. That's that's the number one touch point for patients, right? When they leave my office, they're going to the pharmacy to pick up a prescription. And many times it's multiple prescriptions. And so for us, it, there, there's so many things to talk about there, right? There's leveraging that relationship, bringing that pharmacist now into team-based care to help us have discussions with patients around their medicines that they're taking to help drive a different outcome, to help us with med adherence, med reconciliation. Like for us, that's just so important to be able to close those, what we call triple weighted gaps in care, right? We know that if if folks don't take their high blood pressure medicines on a regular basis, if they don't take their diabetic medicines on a regular basis, it creates downstream cost for the system. I mean, obviously it creates burden for the patient because now they're sicker, they require more expensive care at a hospital level. We just believe in, in getting into the weeds on what we can do from a primary care standpoint to drive a different outcome for our patients. That partnership with Walgreens, those co-located clinics that we call VMWs has allowed our patients to be able to to connect to the pharmacist in a way that in years past, you just, you didn't see. As a doc, I love that because again, I didn't have very many conversations with pharmacists in my practice life. And I'm sure that most of the docs that are listening to us today would say the same thing, that they haven't viewed the pharmacist as being a critical piece of the team. So with that, that's number one for me. Number two is Walgreens are, are part of every community, right? Everybody knows where the Walgreens is and everybody... You know, you use it for med refills. You're you're going in to buy whatever need you have that day that you might need the pharmacy for in the general retail space. So they're on Main and Main Street of every community and everybody knows that brand. It's a comfortable, familiar brand. So for us to piggyback onto that and have and have it be Main and Main Street where we know there's going to be plenty of parking. They can go into the store and get the, get their medicine at the same time and they can pick up whatever else they might need for their family. For us, it made a lot of sense for that partnership to happen. And so we couldn't be happier that those clinics, those VMWs that are co-located, the patient experience, we hear nothing but good things. And those clinics that are built into that space, you know, you enter in through the Walgreens and then you enter this vestibule and you're able to take a left into the primary care clinic. And these clinics have been well thought out. They are comprehensive primary care clinics that are meant to drive a consumer experience that is second to none in the industry. They have local, a little bit of a local art flavor, if you will. And the exam rooms, all of our docs and APPs and care teams that work in these clinics are just ecstatic about the attention to detail that allow them to be able to deliver a differentiated patient experience. Well, thanks for sharing that. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. One of the must-attend healthcare conferences this year is the annual Healthcare Internet Conference. HCIC will be held on November 7th to the 9th in sunny Miami, Florida. This dynamic conference provides a great opportunity for healthcare professionals to learn, share, network, laugh, and collaborate. Here are just some of the great new options that HCIC has in store for you this year. There are recorded bonus sessions available to watch anytime during or after the conference, recorded vendor demos discussing hot topics or showcasing the vendor products or services. 
There will also be a career fair section that is available to search and browse for open digital healthcare positions. It's really an uplifting way for you and your team to recharge and refocus. Go to hcic.net to learn more and get registered today. That's hcic.net. We can't wait to see you there. Okay, back to the flow. We've been watching it really closely, and you're right. It seems like a strategy that's allowed you to accelerate your growth you know, relative to some of the other retailers that are dabbling in the health space. So excited to hear the traction you're getting and to hear about the patient experience. It's been great. We hear great things from our patients. We hear great things from our docs, our care teams. Again, leveraging that relationship with the pharmacy and Walgreens, and we will continue to grow in that space has been great. Uh, Dr. Hatfield, can you tell us about your personal leadership journey? Because I hear bits and pieces of it just in how you're describing your role in the organization, but there's got to be some learnings or some insights or some observations from transitioning from a practicing physician now to this physician leader in this role. Can you walk us through that that journey, I guess, and, and what has stood out to you? That's a loaded question. For me, it's at this point in my career and in my life, I'm just passionate about the changes that have happened in healthcare and the changes that are continuing to happen that are bettering docs, APPs, and patient experience in healthcare. I lived in a world where it was how many patients you saw in a day. That was my practice life. And we didn't have a lot of data or information to really gather around how well of a job, how well was I really doing? I knew financially how well I was doing, but I didn't really know. That, was I closing gaps in care? Was I really reducing patient pain and suffering by keeping folks out of the hospital? So for me, the kind of the journey was I was this high volume fee for service doc. And for me, I defined value as in if patients could call and I squeezed them in that day and they didn't have to go to the emergency room, that was a win for me. But I quickly learned that I needed to drive a different experience, that we needed to create a better experience for our patients and that we needed to create a better experience just as importantly for our docs and APPs that were burning out seeing patients at that clip at that volume. And so we jumped all in with value-based care to try to drive different outcomes for our patients, but also create, give our docs and APPs more time with patients so that they could actually spend time having conversations, building that relationship to drive a different outcome. And that's what we saw. When I started to see that, and at first I was able to get a value-based contract And I thought, wow, this is really how we're going to change healthcare. It's not going to be the systems that change healthcare. It's not going to be the payers that change healthcare. Primary care is going to change healthcare. Primary care docs doing what they've been trained to do is what's going to change healthcare. Actually managing patients, caring for them, developing team-based care is what's going to actually change healthcare. This is the first time in healthcare over the last handful of years, that everything is in alignment. Finally, you know, how the primary care physician gets paid is in alignment. How the payers are going to be rewarded is in alignment for what's best for the patient. Your service payment models aren't what's always best for the patient because you're driving, you're asking me just to churn and burn in that model, right? That's what at Village Medical is, you know, we're doing across the country is value-based care through the right contracts with the payers so that we're driving a different outcome for our patients. Patients don't know anything about value-based care. They don't know anything about population health. They don't know anything about 
payer contracting. All they know is they need a little more time with their doc or their APP. They might need care management. They need the pharmacist maybe to take a little time and explain this medicine, these medicines that they just got discharged out of the hospital with. You know, we talk about bi-directional data sharing with our pharmacists, you know, things like that. Like that's pretty cool. Integrated pharmacy streamlines patient experience and improves the adherence. The care management teams. We have population health operators. You know, I was in Texas the other day and I met with a couple of, of young women who are part of our team. They're tucked away in a couple of cubicles in a back corner of an office. And I approached them and, and they kind of put their phone calls on hold. And I said, hey, tell me, what are you up to today? Well, we're closing gaps in care. I said, okay, you can tell me the phone call you just had. Well, I was just on the phone with a patient who didn't really want to get a colonoscopy. And I talked to the patient. I explained to them the why it was important. And I've scheduled the colonoscopy for the patient with a specialist. Like that to me changing healthcare. Again, it's that one patient at a time approach. Did the doc do anything to close that gap in care? The answer is not really. It was a population health focused team actually made that phone call and had the conversation explained the why. It's all of those moving parts, right? That allow us to be able to to drive a team-based culture of all driven down to the success of that one outcome with that one patient. Sorry, James, went off on a tangent there. (laughs) But I'm telling you, if you want to talk about population health, we're going to need more time than the 30 minutes we've allotted for this. Love that. That was perfect. One real quick, well, hopefully it'll be a real quick question, but wanted to ask uh, Dr. Hatfield, I feel like in stakeholders that I talk to, certainly in some folks that we've interviewed here on the podcast, sometimes there's this, I don't know if it's a rumor or a notion or idea that value-based care is difficult to earn a margin or make a profit. So talking about the business side, would you say that that's true? Or would you say that, you know, in value-based care, you know, there is opportunity to deliver the right care to the right patient and then also do right by the business and carve out a piece for everyone involved as well? I think people still do think that, you know, fee-for-service where all the money is, it's the only way to make money in healthcare. But it, it seems like the way the market is moving and with all these primary care disruptors getting to this space, that value-based care might be the way to go. But we'd love for you to just speak maybe to the economics of it all, to set the record straight, so to speak. Yeah, it's the perfect time to be in medicine where all things are aligned, where they're actually, you know, there's enough fraud, waste, and abuse in medicine that there's opportunity obviously there. We know we we all know that. But but at the end of the day, it's really all about Zane getting the patient the right care at the right place at the right time. So for me, what that really boils down to is, is if Mrs. Jones is 82 years old and she calls an office and she says, hey, I really want to be seen. I think I've got some urinary tract symptoms. The last time I had it a year ago, it really progressed and I got fever sick. And I they, the doc told me I was septic. I went to the ER hospital admission and I waited too long. If that patient calls our office or interacts with somebody at our phone center or or interacts with a care manager, we want to ensure that we're evaluating all of those patients in a primary care setting so that we can prevent unnecessary utilization of the system. And there's savings there. Like if I can see a patient in a clinic and treat her urinary tract infection in a timely manner, and if I can see a COPD patient early or ensure that they are following a COPD protocol and they have their inhalers, but they know to call if they get in a tight spot and I can see them versus they kind of push the panic button and go to the ER. 
Like that's where the savings happens is if we can, if we can reduce the unnecessary ER visits, if we can reduce unnecessary hospitalization, because it's no secret, that's where the cost of care skyrockets is when our patients may very well need the hospitalization and they hit the hospital, but we think we could have prevented it with good access to primary care. With primary care physicians and APPs that are trained and supported to deliver a different outcome so that that folks don't need to use the ER. And a lot of that's just education and information for our patients. Because today, I will tell you, there are still is a number out there in the population that they use the ER as their primary care physician. We're trying to change that narrative every day. We just talked about the business side of value-based care. And to your point earlier, the thought that patients don't know what value-based care is for the most part. They don't understand the difference between that. They don't understand the business side of it, or they're at least not thinking about it. They do just want more time. They just want to ask that next question. So how do you convey to them that Village Medical is different? Like, where does that happen to be like, hey, by the way, you can ask your question now. Like, hey, we're going to treat you better. Like, does it just happen because you show them that? Or is there some part along their experience that, that you convey that to them? That's a great question, Jared. I think it's at every touch point that we have. We want to earn the trust of our patients. And we just believe that in order to do that, you have to listen. Listening is the most important part of any exam. It's the most important part when a patient calls and, and interacts with our call center. It's the most important part shameless plug for our village medical app that people can access 24 hours, seven days a week, that they get to actually access an APP that will address any questions or concerns about their health, help them schedule an appointment, and even turn it into a virtual visit if that's what it needs. So we just believe that at the heart of every good primary care office in America is the willingness to take time and listen to our patients. So that's what we do. And that's how we train our teams to take time and listen. Wonderful. I've been anticipating this call for weeks and you've definitely brought to bear like an exceeding of expectations on so many levels. On behalf of our listeners, let me ask, what else are you watching and paying attention to in the healthcare space? Because clearly you're a visionary and a thought leader. Are there certain leaders you're also paying attention to or trends that you would point our audience to? We're kind of a unique animal. There's lots of people in this space that are trying to take their primary care model and expand it and grow it. We know about Amazon. We know about Walmart. We know about all of these folks that are kind of hitching their wagon to primary care and to drive a different consumer experience. For me, I just don't think anybody's doing it like we're doing it. We are payer agnostic in our approach. We are patient agnostic. We see babies and we see seniors. We're bullish that we believe that to solve the riddle of, of the GDP and, and the problems that are in healthcare in America today that we've got to see all patients and all payers in underserved communities, in the more affluent communities. We live and breathe what we call the quad, which is not the quadruple aim that, that you hear so much about in medicine. We certainly incorporate happy docs, happy patients, reducing total cost of care and driving quality like that. That's a given for us, but we kind of live and breathe what we call as the quad framework. It really, it's four buckets of work where we think we have to excel at and we are excelling at. It's a comprehensive series of value-based care guidelines and key quality and performance metrics that we hold ourselves to that standard. So panel management, right? We got to know who our patients are. If they're attributed to us, 
We want to know who they are and we want to outreach them. If there's social determinant of health barriers that prevent that patient from coming to us, then we're going to find them, engage them, and help them know that we care. That's our goal. We want folks to know how much we care, and we want to get them seen in our clinics, in our offices, engage our teams. We banned the word at Village Medical. We don't say non-compliant. That's not a thing. Patients are not non-compliant. If a patient of ours is at home, and for whatever reason, they're not engaged in their healthcare, there's a reason we need to find out why it is. Are they depressed? Do they not have transportation? Are they more worried about, about a roof overhead than controlling their blood pressure? Do they have other things in their life that might be impacting their ability to engage a primary care physician or APP? So for us, we want to know who our patients are, and we're going to go find them, engage them, outreach them, and do everything we can, whether that's through our village at home model, virtual visit, or whether we outreach them and help facilitate getting them to the office, whatever it is, we want to know who they are and we want to engage them. That's the attribution piece, knowing who our patients are. We want to make sure that we're documenting all of our patients' chronic disease conditions. We want to know who our sickest patients are, who are the patients that need us most, who need to see us more frequently and need higher touch, may need care management, and who are we keeping a close finger on the pulse, right, of those patients. Not only as they have the conditions, but we want to know who our pre-diabetics are, who are our next patients that might be falling into that category that we need to be seeing more frequently. So clinical documentation is a big part of what we do. Utilization management, that's a given, right? We want to reduce avoidable utilization in the system. I don't want to order an MRI for a patient that just had one a week ago at a specialist office or in an ER visit. We know there's waste and opportunity there, so we focus on it. And then last but not least, and probably the one that the patients are most concerned about because they don't really know about the other three, they want to know that when they come see a village medical physician, that we're going to drive quality. They want to know that we drive a quality performance that's second to none, that when we look at our mammograms, when we look at colonoscopies, when we look at med adherence, that we are focused on those things that actually help our patients become healthier and reduce pain and suffering. So it's kind of those four buckets that we focus on. The landscape is pretty competitive, but we want to know that patients, they have a friend in us and they have a person that will listen to them. Just like that old fashioned GP that my, my dad was, you know, my dad would call all of this stuff that we've wrapped around all these services that we've wrapped around and all these care teams. My dad would look at me and go, son, you know what we called that in my day? We called that being a primary wow. care doc. Wow. That's just a lot, doesn't it? That's powerful stuff. Very nice. Dr. Hatfield, thanks for giving us so much to think about today. We're going to wrap right there, but what's the best way for listeners to connect with you? Is there a, a website or, or somewhere on LinkedIn or somewhere for, for people if they want to find out more information or just connect with you? Yeah, they should, They can for sure connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with them. It's it's David Hatfield and I'm under, It's uh, I think you just type in that name <laughs> at the top. There may be a few of us. If there's any McCoys, if there's any McCoys, please let me know. We'll uh, get that handled too. We do a lot of different things. Uh, and handling the McCoys <laughs> we've made up so we're all good there on the half of the McCoys front but LinkedIn's a good, great way to access anything Village Medical with our page that'd be great thank you well thanks again stay safe and best of luck in everything you've got going on we'll be paying attention to what you have uh, what's going on with Village Medical but thanks for giving us a few minutes today you got it thank you Jared glad to be here thanks James thanks Zane 
Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. One subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.